you have your Bibles, uh, turn them to the book of Acts, chapter 2, Acts 2. And if you need a Bible, let me know by raising your hand, and I will make sure that one, uh, someone gets one to you right away. We all good? We need an actual Bible right here. Anybody else need one? Keep your hand up so they can, they can see you. You're good? Okay. Acts chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 42 and uh, read on down through the end of the chapter. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father God, we get a description here in uh, these few verses of what a good, strong, and healthy church looks like. Lord, I pray that you would move us in that direction. Lord God, I pray for the preaching of the word this morning. I pray that your spirit would be upon Pastor Steve, that you would guide him, that um, uh, his words would be from you, Lord. And I pray for our hearing of the word, our reception of the word, that, uh, that we would heed it, that we would listen to it, that we would receive it by faith, and that we would apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Deemer. All right. Well, it's, uh, it's football season, and I thought I needed a football illustration this morning, so uh, I brought a football, and uh, I need Mr. Toby to come up here and help me. All right. Come on up here, Toby. And Toby, I want you to stand over here. Yeah, over here. And let's see. I need another adult this time, someone who's got good hands, someone who's got... Uh, yeah. I see Matt saying he's got, Matt, you got good hands? All right, Matt. No. You're, Matt, you're, no, come on, Matt, come on. All right. Go stand over here, uh, I guess somewhere just kind of where the, where the tiles come together right there. All right? Now, um, Toby, hold on to that for a second. Now, uh, Toby's a quarterback, and uh, he can throw it pretty good, I think. I think he's, uh, he's. What, what did Deemer say a minute ago? This is a model of a strong, healthy church. This is a model of a strong, healthy quarterback over here, right? All right. So now, I will need a kid, though. Um, let's see here. Um, let's see one of the kids out here who can really throw the ball. All right. Um, all the arms went down. Wow. Hmm. I, I, hold on. You, well, I, I, saw, I saw back here first. I saw Jordan's first. Come on up here, Jordan. All right. Okay, let me move this out of the way. Now, Jordan, I want you to start off. I want you to throw the ball. Come over here. I want you to throw the ball, and I want you to hit Matt in the numbers. I know he's not wearing numbers, but just, you know, right where he needs to catch it. Right there, okay? And I want you to throw him a nice, good pass with good form and everything on it, all right? So on the count of three, go. Oh, that's not bad. That's not bad. It's much better than I was expecting for the illustration, actually. Pretty good. All right. Throw it back over here. All right. Okay, Toby, I want you to watch him again. I want you to think of some tips you can give him as a quarterback. Right? You're going to do it again. Now, Toby's going to watch your form and everything about your, your um, follow-through and everything. I want you to try it one more time. 
Okay, don't hit Mark, he's drinking coffee, all right? That's not bad. That's really good. All right, now, see one more time. Now, Toby, I want you to model a good uh, pass for him, and then I want you to tell him what he can, he can improve on here because he's already a pretty good quarterback. All right, so step back over here. All right, here we go. I decided to put an adult over there because, oh. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> yeah, all right. Here, here you go, Matt. Hey, you didn't give me any more. All right, all right. <laughs> All right, let's reverse the illustration here. Do you have any tips for Toby? All right, now here we go. All right, let's try this again. All right. There we go. All right, now look at that nice tight spiral on that ball. All right, so just watching Jordan here, do you have any, any tips for him? He did good. I'm just doing I need some tips here. Yeah, All right. the ball up here with two hands. That's the best okay, hold it up there. Help you guide it better. Help that's you guide it better? Yeah. Yes, and, when you and follow through. That's the only thing you didn't do. So just when you step forward, follow through with your heart. All right, now that he's giving you those tips, I want you to watch him one more time. All right, here we go. Hands like this. All right, watch him follow through. All right, and look at look, the tight spiral. Very good. All right, now, uh, the only reason I brought this illustration up today is because, all right. That was a duck. What? Come that on. Was <laughs> that was a duck. That was a, yours was actually better. Now, you can have a seat for me real quick. And, Toby, you can have a seat, too. Let me see that ball real quick. Matt, yeah, you can have a seat, too. Good, good. Um, Good catching back there. You should, you should consider playing for Arkansas. All right. Um, you know, Toby, he's a good quarterback. I've, I've watched him play um, his, uh, what, his, it's not just flag football. It's like uh, full contact flag football, if that makes any sense at all. Full contact flag football and watch Toby play. And, man, he's got an arm and he can whip it out there. And, and he's a very good quarterback. He's in high demand. Um, I I believe that he's, uh, there are several teams trying to get him under contract right now. But uh, he's a really good quarterback. So Toby knows what he's doing. He's played uh, you know, high-level football before, and he's really good. And so he can model for someone how to actually throw the ball. And I didn't, you're a lefty? Yeah. yeah. So he, he can model how to throw the ball. And if someone wants to learn, they can watch, watch uh, Toby. And, or if you want to learn any professional sport, you can watch those guys who really have it down they can really model it for you. Yesterday, I had the, the wonderful opportunity to go um, uh, play, uh, watch some golf, not play some golf, watch some golf. And, and I was watching these guys out there, and, as, and I was trying to, sometimes I was just amazed by what they were doing, but other times I'd actually start focusing on how they were, their stance and uh, how they were holding the club and all this, because I'm thinking, they get the ball to go that way, but my ball always goes this way, so what can I learn from watching them as they model what they're doing. And the guys were back here at coffee earlier today talking about, you know, whether or not it's like they're born that way or if it's mental or whatever, you know. But, um, but anyway, it was just awesome to watch these guys do some spectacular things with the golf ball and the, with the way they swing their club and everything. It was just really, really impressive. So as I got to thinking about this church in Acts, this first church, the very early church, there's some things here in this passage that are modeled for us. And if we want to be a healthy church, just like if um, Jordan wants to become a good quarterback, he's going to watch someone that knows what they're doing. And if you want to become a good golfer, you're going to watch someone that knows what they're doing. If we want to be a healthy church and a good, strong church, then we need to look at it being modeled for us here in the Scripture. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at the pros, if you will. We're going to look at um, the very first church and see what it was about this church that made it so special and then we're going to look in the mirror and look at us and say, are we following these things? Are we doing the things that we see here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42? 
So, with that in mind, I want us to pray real quick as we dig into this passage of Scripture this morning. Father, we thank you for this day, and Lord, I thank you for passages like this. Lord, it can be very convicting to read a passage like this, and we see what the early church was doing, and we realize, boy, we have a long way to go to be like the first church. But also, Lord, we see later on in Scripture that even those early churches had their share of mistakes and failures because they were filled with sinners just like ours is. And so, God, we pray that we would be your church as we watched the video earlier today. We want to be your church. We want to belong to you. We want you to do what you want to do at Harbin's. And, Lord, we want to be submissive to that. So we pray this morning that you'd get our hearts right, get our minds uh, ready to hear your word. Um, as we said earlier, Lord, there's really nothing uh, in and of ourselves, because we're sinners, that we can do to receive your word. So we need your Holy Spirit to, to come and to really invade our hearts this morning and prepare us and open up our ears and open up our eyes. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. What does the first church look like? You know what? I left my clicker back there. Do you guys see my... Uh, my thingy. There you go. Bring it, bring it up here for me. We want to look at what the first church looked like, and I want to see six things here in this passage. Now, if you notice, as you look at this passage here, uh, the verses, there's six different um, phrases that start with the, with the word and. Verse 42 says, and they did this. Verse 43 says, and this happened. Verse 44, and. Verse 45, and then verse 46, and day by day. And then halfway through verse 47 is the sixth one, and. So I want to look at those four, uh, those six phrases and, and break them down. And, and let's look at us as a church today. So the first thing I want us to look at is verse 42, where it says, um, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Okay, the first church was what? What do we see here in this first church? What do we see in a church? Remember, Peter has preached this amazing sermon. 3,000 people came to Christ. The sermon was all about God's sovereignty and the gospel and how God, from the very beginning, had this plan to have Jesus come and to die for our sins and to rise again, to be victorious. And now the kingdom has come. hasn't come fully yet. It's not fully realized yet, but we've seen the first fruits of the kingdom. And so how does a church that's heard that type of message and believes in that gospel message and that type of sovereignty, how do they, how do they act? What do they look like? And the first thing I want us to see is they were uncompromisingly focused. They were uncompromisingly focused. The Bible says here that they devoted themselves. Okay, that word in the Greek means that they were, they were single-minded, they were steadfast, they were faithful to a specific course of action. So they were devoted, they were focused. And there's four things here in this verse that says that they were focused on. Okay, long before Rick Warren came up with his five purposes of the church, Luke has four focuses here of the church. Okay? And so we see four, all four, four things here that I want us to look at. First of all, I want us to see they were focused on proper doctrine. On proper doctrine. It says that they, um, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Not just anybody's teaching. Not just anybody that wanted to come and say, hey, I got an idea, let's do this. Or, hey, I've got this, you know, I've got this understanding of God that I want to share with you because I actually think he's multiple gods and he lives in the trees and everything. So let's do that. That's, that's not what they did. They didn't just say, hey, anybody who wants to can bring something for us to believe in and to teach. They were devoted to the apostles' teachings. And so they were devoted to proper doctrine. 1 Timothy 4.16, one of the passages we read recently as we studied through 1 Timothy says, Keep a close watch on yourselves and on the teaching. It's the same word, doctrine, teaching, same word. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourselves 
and your hearers. This doctrine, this teaching of the apostles is vitally important to the church and we have to be uncompromisingly focused on it. So what is the apostles teaching for us? It's this, it's the Bible, it's the New Testament. The New Testament is the apostles' teaching, and in a large manner, the New Testament is simply an exposition of the Old Testament. So this is the apostles' teaching right here. What we have in our hands, the Bible, is the apostles' teaching, and that's what we've got to be focused on. That's where our doctrine comes from. I've been doing some reading lately about some new trends in the church, a book that Roger lent me, um, about new trends happening in the church. One of the things that seems to be happening, especially with young churches that are attracting very young people, is a dismissal of doctrine and more of a focus on what we're doing. In other words, loving on people, meeting people's needs. Um, social justice is a real big thing. Um, and, and so there's all these things that seems like some of the younger churches are, are focused on. Now, those aren't bad things. Matter of fact, if anything... To a certain degree, the evangelical church over the past hundred years has gotten a little bit off focus and has failed to do some of these things. So there's sort of a correction happening with some of the younger churches to get more focused on, on meeting needs and, and, and dealing with the social ills in our world today. But to a certain degree, it's also come at the expense of, whenever a pendulum swings, it's come at the expense of doctrine in a lot of ways. And I, I think I shared with you guys a phrase that I've heard um, some church leaders say recently, and that is that doctrine divides and Jesus unites. It sounds wonderful. Doctrine divides, Jesus unites. And it sounds, sounds, sounds very nice to talk about being united in Christ. And let's not worry about all of our doctrinal differences. But the Bible clearly teaches us that we're supposed to teach doctrine, proper doctrine. And we have to be focused on what the early church was focused on, which was the apostles' teaching. And so we can't just dismiss the apostles' teaching to go out and meet needs because then all we become is some other social agency just like the Red Cross or something like that. We have to have proper doctrine in the church. So it has to be one of our focuses. Second thing is we need to be focused on sharing life together. He says, be devoted to the apostles' teaching and what? Fellowship. Fellowship. It's not just eating. Today we're having a picnic at the park. And so that's part of fellowship. But I think as Baptists we think a fellowship has to be, include food. It doesn't. Okay. I, I like it when it does, but it doesn't have to include food. Fellowship is sharing life together. That's the best way I can put it. When you look at the word koinonia, it talks about this communion, this commonality, a unity and oneness of spirit, serving one another, loving one another. That's what fellowship is all about. It's doing life together. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And we shouldn't have to teach one another to fellowship. If we have the love of Christ in us and we have that brotherly affection for one another, fellowship should emerge out of the church. We should be seeing fellowship happen. Now, I think sometimes perhaps we get so focused on our own lives that we forget that we need to be fellowshipping. But it should bother us when there's not fellowship happening in the church. It should really bother us. And we should be taking, doing things to, to fix that problem individually. Don't just expect, don't say, well, this church never fellowships and and Steve, that's his fault. You know, he just, you know, that church calendar back there just doesn't have enough fellowships on or whatever. Hey, you know, fellowship isn't something that has to be organized by the church. Fellowship is something that happens, that emerges from a church that loves one another. So if you want to fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, certainly we can do that in formal ways, like we're having our picnic today. But you know what? Just get to know those in the church and invite them over for dinner and and just build those bonds, experience life together. And it's not just eating, and it's not just, you know, it's also sharing. 
Fellowship is also, there's, there's passages in Scripture that talks about them fellowshipping together in their sufferings. So if you're going through sufferings and you're going through difficulties, that's also where fellowship comes in. You have brothers and sisters in Christ here who want to help you through that. They want to love on you through that. And they want to do what they can, praying for you and just being there to support you. And so fellowship is something that we have to be focused on as well. Third thing here I, I see in this passage, it says, um, after it talks about the fellowship, then it says the breaking of bread, that they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Well, what does that mean? Well, I believe it's that they were obedient to the ordinances of Christ. They were obedient to what Christ had told the church to be doing. We already see here in this passage, in verse 41, that they, were, they baptized 3,000 people. So we know they're obedient to baptism, which is one of the church ordinances. The other one is what? The Lord's Supper, communion. And we see here the faithfulness to that, a focus on that. Breaking of bread. Now, that term was also used for just a regular meal. So it could be used for just a regular meal where you're getting together and you're breaking bread. Matter of fact, it's used that way later in this passage. But I think in this specific instance, it's referring to something more than just breaking bread. Because you don't have to talk about a church being devoted to breaking bread. I mean, the fact that you guys are all alive, you're devoted to eating, okay? Some of us more than others. We're devoted to eating. So he's not saying, hey, the church was devoted to eating. He says they were devoted to the breaking of bread. And he's talking about something specific here, along with the fellowship, along with the apostles' teaching. And he's talking about communion. Them getting together to recognize the Lord's death, to proclaim the Lord's death. And, uh, and so what we see is them carrying out 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. This is what Jesus told the disciples. For as long as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the purpose of communion is to be Christ-centered. And that's why one of the things that we haven't done as regularly as I would like for us to start doing is have communion. So I, I added a communion Sunday to the schedule, and we're going to have communion next week. I was reading this passage, and God got a hold of me and said, we need to have communion more often. And so we're going to schedule communion next week. And one of the great things about a church that's focused on the ordinances and, and communion and baptism, one of the things about being focused on communion is the Bible makes it very clear you cannot come to the communion table with hidden things and with a heart that's living in sin. It's a very dangerous thing to come to the Lord's table in the wrong way. And so if you've got issues with your brothers and sisters in Christ and you've got issues you haven't dealt with with God, then you need to deal with it before you come to the communion table. And a church that's focused on that, a church that's making sure we're carrying out communion in a regular way, is a church that will be healthier because, I believe, we'll be more focused on Christ. That's the whole purpose of the communion table, is to be focused on Christ. It's to proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And so a church has to be uncompromisingly focused on the death and resurrection of Christ. And so we see here that they were focused on fellowship and, and on the apostles' teaching, on the ordinances. But we also see them focused on coming before God continually. And this, this section here ends with saying that they were focused on the prayers. Prayer was central to the church, and it should always be central to the church. Ephesians 6, 8, 18 through 20. This passage in Ephesians 6 that we're, a lot of us are familiar with here about the, the, the armor of God. I mean... Let's see if the kids know the armor of God. Any of you guys know the armor of God? Cortland? You know it? Okay. The sword of the spirit. The shield of what? Faith. Okay, got two of them. The breastplate of righteousness. The helmet of salvation. Belt of no truth. And gospel shoes of 
peace. Okay? And we, we, we teach that to our kids, but you know what the key to spiritual warfare is? It's the verse that follows that section we're all so familiar with, and it says this. It says, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. That's the key right there to spiritual warfare. And a church that isn't doing that, that isn't praying, and listen to what he's, we're praying for. They're praying for all the saints, praying for one another, praying for the leaders in the church to open their mouths and speak the right things. Okay, you know, one of the things that, that um, you know what, we, we haven't done as good a, de- uh, a job with as um, perhaps in the past when we were a little bit smaller, and that is, um, I, I think we should pray. I, I would like to have men gather together and pray for whoever's preaching that Sunday before the service begins. I would love to have that happening because you know what? I think we get going and hustle and bustle and we get the computer hooked up. And we got everything right, but sometimes this isn't right and this isn't right, each individually. But also we need to be praying for everyone up here. Mark, everyone who's speaking and leading in the church needs to have, be bathed in prayer every Sunday and during the week. And so we see here prayer being something that they were continually, constantly focused on. So the question is, how are we doing in these areas? Are we a doctrinal church? Hopefully we are, but we can always do better. Are we a fellowshipping church? Okay, we're having the picnic at the park today, but we can certainly do more. We can be stronger in the area of fellowship. Are we focusing on the centrality of the cross and having communion the way we need to and, and having the, uh, observing the ordinances of Christ the way we, we need to? We can do better there as well. And are we a praying church? Well, next Sunday will be our first Sunday of the month, and the first Sunday of the month is our prayer service. So we'll be having our prayer service again next Sunday. Matter of fact, what I want us to do is to meet at the property again. I want us to pray at the property again, and I'm going to hand these out again. Actually, I'm not going to hand them out because I'm going to ask you to take them today. But I have uh, what I'm calling prayer maps with different neighborhoods mapped out, and I want people praying over these neighborhoods until we get into the building. I want people praying over these neighborhoods uh, continually. Put this in your Bible. Be praying for Harbin Springs Subdivision, And then when you have time with your family, maybe next Sunday, uh, walk that neighborhood and pray over that neighborhood, drive through the neighborhood and pray for it. We need to be doing more prayer as a church. And so this is just one tool to, to do that. So I think there's obviously, there always will be ways that we can improve as a church body. So the early church was focused on, uh, uncompromisingly focused on these four things, but also the early, early church was unquestionably astonishing. All right. I was going to put unquestionably awesome, but the word's so overused. But it's the word that Luke uses here. It says here that an awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Awe came on every soul. Now, every soul here is not referring to those in the church. It's referring to those outside the church. As they're seeing what's going on in the church, they're awed. Okay, And in this case, they were awed by, by they were seeing these signs and these wonders being done. By the apostles, this word awe means fear. It means astonishment. It means that they were um, blown away, mind-blowing when they saw all this happen. They were awed by what God was doing. They were awed by what God was doing. People are not awed by what people can do. People are awed by what God can do. Because people can do a lot of really cool things. People can build buildings. People can 
organized some really cool programs. People can do a lot of things in the church even that are pretty impressive. But what awes people is when they see God moving in a special way, when they see lives transformed, when they see families restored, when they see miracles happening. And it doesn't have to be miracles like this. The signs and wonders here are the miracles the apostles were doing were healings and different things. I still believe personally that miracles can still happen today. They're not normative. I don't think we should expect healings to happen in every service, but I do believe miracles can happen. I've, I've lived overseas enough to see and hear some of the miracles of some of our missionary brothers and sisters. I cannot believe that the miracles have ceased. So I still think there could be miracles that God does in a church. And there's special things that God does in a church, like giving them land in a building that no one expected. These are things that should awe people when they look at a church. They say, wow, look at what God's doing. Not necessarily what those people are doing. And it doesn't have to be miracles, like I said. People are just awed when they see God at work. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 24 through 25. Paul, in this passage, is actually getting onto the Corinthian church because their focus was just the miraculous gifts. They just wanted to do spectacular things and, and speak in tongues. And, and Paul says, you know what? There's more important things like teaching and prophecy. Let's focus on those things. And he says this, But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. When we faithfully teach the word of God, that's an, that can be an awful experience as well. Saying awful in the right way. And that when people come in, it may be an awful experience too, in another way. I'm sorry if it is. But when people come in, they should hear the word of God. It should penetrate their heart like we talked about last week. That sword of the spirit cutting to the heart. And it should leave people... It shouldn't leave them the same. They should be able to be awed by what God is really doing. So are we an awe-inspiring church? In other words, the question simply for me is, do people look at us and see God at work, or do they look at us and see man at work? And so we want God to do things in us that bring Him glory and doesn't bring the attention to us. The early church was uncompromisingly focused, unquestionably astonishing. Number three, they were uncommonly unified. Verse 44 says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were together. They were unified. Okay? When it says they were, had all things in common, we're not talking about communal life here where they just bring all their possessions and put them in a pile and say, okay, what it's talking about is talking about the attitude of the way you look at your possessions. Everything I have belongs to God, and however God wants to use it in the church, he can use it. Okay, having all things in common means that if I view my stuff as God's, then I also understand it belongs to everyone else here. If I view my stuff as God's, then it also belongs to everyone else here. And so it's a way, it's an attitude of life, it's a way of looking at the things we have and realizing that God wants us to have all things in common. It's not our stuff, it's God's stuff. It belongs to Him and He can use it however He wants to use it. We'll see later in this passage here that it's, that the people came and brought it as they were led by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it wasn't, say, it wasn't like, okay, D, I need you to hand over all your money right now, and, and Deemer, I need you to hand over all We're going to put it in one big pot, and then we're just going to distribute it out, and, and, and therefore make sure everyone's getting the same amount of money and everything's fair. That, that's, that's not what we're talking about here. That's socialism, all right? That's not what we're talking about here. And the difference between socialism and, and the life that we're sp speaking of here is that socialism is something a government forces upon people. This is something that arises from the hearts of people and says, you know what? My stuff is your stuff, buddy. 
Whatever I have, it belongs to God. And so however I can use it to bless you, to minister to you, to take care of you, then it's yours. And I'm going to do it and we're going to meet needs in the church by viewing our stuff not as ours, but viewing it as God's. So this inevitably leads to the next point is that they were unselfishly generous. They were unselfishly generous. Verse 45 says, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They were selling. Again, this shows that it was not communal life because they were selling whatever God led them to sell. So um, we'll see a passage later on in Acts 4, 34 through, um, through 5, 11 that's, that, that demonstrates this. You'll see that one guy came and sold his stuff with the right, proper attitude, and another person came and sold their stuff with the wrong attitude, and the consequences were pretty dire. But they were selling their stuff. They were bring, bringing it to meet needs. So this is kind of how it worked. They're here in this church, they're worshiping together, they're fellowshipping together, and they see, here's someone in a de desperate need. Well, you know what? I've got this piece of property, or I've got this stuff, and I don't need it. I like having it, but it doesn't belong to me anyway. It belongs to God, so I'm going to sell it, because that's not what's important, because moth and rust will destroy that. That's not going to go with me to heaven. Therefore, I'm going to sell that to meet this person's need over here. And that's how it was working in the early church. And there's two things he mentions here, possessions. That word usually referred to in the Greek to real estate. So some of the people in the church had real estate. And then it says belongings. That usually referred to personal items that they own, not real estate. And it says that they gave it as anyone had need. So again, that's the model. Now let's look in the mirror. That's the model. Let's look in the mirror. Let us examine ourselves this morning. First, it's an individual mirror that each one of us needs to hold up. How do we view our stuff? Do we view it as mine or God's. And if it's God's, then our attitude should be that it belongs to everyone else here as well. So it's that simple. You know, you can try to find your way around this. We, we're Americans, right? We love our stuff. And that's part, one of the biggest problems in the American church is simply materialism. And we love our stuff and we want our stuff and we want the latest stuff and the shiniest stuff and, and we'll take the old stuff and we'll keep it in our garage where it, it collects dust. And one day we'll blow off the dust off that stuff and go, oh, I forgot I had this stuff. Because we're Americans. And that's the way we live. But I cannot find the church even somewhat like that anywhere in the scripture. Instead I find this. And so we can try to wiggle our way around it because it makes us uncomfortable as Americans to look at a passage like this. But the fact of the matter is, God gave us our stuff not for ourselves. He gave us our stuff for his glory. And everything we use Okay, everything we have is it being used for his glory. And I have to confess, I struggle with this just as much as anyone else. It has nothing to do with how much stuff you have. It has to do with your attitude. So if you have a little bit of stuff but still have the wrong attitude, it doesn't matter. You're, you're in the same sin that a person who has a lot of stuff and has the same attitude has. Okay? So it doesn't matter. It's your little stuff, a lot of stuff, doesn't matter. But it also means the way we take care of our stuff. Okay, are we doing it for the glory of God? And so there's a lot of, as I look at this and hold the mirror up to my own face, I say, man, God has some things to do in my own heart because the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The way it works is that the church doesn't say, you know what, you better give your stuff, buddy. And you say, fine, whatever, there's my stuff. Go meet some needs. That's not what it says. God, it springs up from the heart. God loves a cheerful giver, someone who loves to give. Someone who finds joy in saying, God, I know you gave that to me, but it doesn't belong to me anyway, so I find great joy in now selling that and meeting someone else's need with it. 
and it gives God great joy too. And that's what we see here in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, but in this passage right here. So uncompromisingly focused, unquestionably astonishing, uncommonly unified, unselfishly generous, and unwaveringly committed. By the way, I did get the thesaurus out and looked as many unwords as I could. I needed six. <laughs> unwaveringly committed. Acts, verse, uh, Acts 2, verse 46 says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. So what we see here is this image of commitment. Day by day, they're meeting in the temple. Now, that phrase, day by day, I don't know if it means actually literally every day the early church was meeting. Perhaps they were meeting every day. But it does mean there was consistency. They were consistently gathering together to do these things. So day by day, they were committed. Okay? And think about this. And, and another American thing about us is we have a hard time with commitment, don't we? I mean, that's why half of the marriages in our country fail, because we, we struggle with commitment. That's why people, uh, you know, don't honor contracts anymore. That's why you can have an athlete sign a contract for a gajillion dollars and, and then change his mind, and he's going to go to this team, and they just break the contract. It's no big deal. Nothing, there's no commitment anymore in, in our country, and this, this requires commitment, and even church commitment. We've got to be people who are committed. And that's what we're talking about here, is that, that they were committed. They had a level of commitment, and that's the reason we have a covenant. It's the reason in our covenant we talk about small groups. We talk about things in our covenant that, that we commit to do together. And so this church was committed to one another, and day by day they were doing these things. Look at the things they were doing. First of all, it says there was public worship. They were attending the temple together. It's a public place of witness, a public place of worship, a public place of, uh, of, of people seeing what God was doing. But then it also talks about an intimate fellowship because it says they were breaking bread in their homes. So there's two levels of what's going on here at the church. There's a public level where they have this public gathering together and they, they're witnessing about the great things of God together. And then there's a, there's a private, or not say private, but more of an intimate setting in the homes. Now, I doubt there was any single person in Jerusalem that had a home that could seat 3,000 people. So I'm gathering, they had small groups, all right? They had lots of homes where they gathered together. Now, a certain amount of those 3,000 people went back to some other uh, cities and countries and stuff because they were there for those festivities. But still, the church had gotten pretty big pretty quick. And so it was important to have the public gathering, but also to have intimate fellowship in the homes. And a church that's committed has to be committed to both. A church that's committed has to be committed to both. Doing small groups together, community groups together. We call our groups community groups. Is that word means with unity. Okay? Community. With unity, this fellowshipping together in small groups creates unity in the church. But we also have this worship gathering together uh, in a larger setting. Hebrews 10, 24-25 talks about commitment. It says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near. So we gather together for that fellowship, for that encouraging, for that koinonia. Okay, and look at the Christ-like attitude that emerges from this. From this unified commitment to public worship and intimate fellowship. It says here they were glad. They had glad hearts. They were, they were happy. They were joyful. 
Okay, and that they were generous people as a result. So the attitude, this Christ-like attitude of joy and generosity emerges when we have this experience we're committed to the gathering together of the saints, whether it be in a large setting, but also in the small setting. And look at the glory God gets from unified commitment to worship and intimate fellowship. It says they were praising God. They were praising God. And they were having um, favor with all men. You know what I believe? This just, I got to thinking about this as I read this passage of Scripture. says they had favor with all men. Now, later on, persecution will break out. So just because there's persecution that breaks out doesn't mean that all of a sudden the church is doing the wrong things. At this, point, at this moment, God was blessing them in a special way, and they had favor with all men. But the church should always be doing things in such a way that we can have favor with all men. In other words, if they revile us and they're angry at us and they hate us, it's not because we're doing despicable things. It's because we're doing godly things and God-honoring things. And Satan will always stir people up to hate what's good. But what we're doing in the church should be something that's honorable. And that when people look in, they see, wow, that church is doing something good that glorifies God. But I got to thinking about this passage and thinking about how some churches go out of their way to make their services very seeker-sensitive, okay? And, and, and where you land on that, that's up for discussion about seeker-sensitive. Some people think we're way too seeker-sensitive, but seeker-sensitive. But the whole purpose is, is to, that we just want to do things in the church setting that makes people feel comfortable when they come. You know what? If we're doing those things right here, they uncompromisingly focused on those four things in this, the Bible says they had favor with all men. They didn't have to have a certain worship style. They didn't have to change things. They didn't have to have padded seats. They didn't have to become secret sensitive. They just did what God told the church to do, and the people saw it and said, that's something special. I don't believe that we have to go out of our way to become seeker sensitive, because if we're doing what God wants us to do, then the, those who are truly seeking God, which means God's already at work in their heart, will come in and see, yes, this is a place where God's at work. And remember, that's what inspires the awe, when God's at work. Men can make things very seeker sensitive. I mean, you know, we could, we could have Mark really, you know, jazz up the guitar stuff up here a little bit, you know, add a little more electric up there, you know, we could really, we could get some smoke machines, that would be cool, wouldn't it? And some really, some strobe lights, all right, that'd be really, really cool. Man can do all of that and impress the socks off of people, but only God causes people to fear and have awe at what he's doing. Because there's little churches that have no smoke and mirrors, that have no electric guitars, that are playing the same old organ they bought 40 years ago in the middle of the country, out in nowhere, that only have 20 people coming, and God's doing special work in that church. And people leave on Sunday and go, wow, God did something here. And it has nothing to do with the amount of people there. It has to do with the Spirit of God moving in the hearts of people. And that's what brings awe, is when you go into a church like it and you say, wow, God was here today. God did something today. And so this is why we do community groups and we also have worship together in a bigger setting like this is because we want to be a church that's committed. It's committed to doing things the way God wants us to do things. Finally, they were undeniably blessed. Undeniably blessed. The Bible says here, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord added. It's the Lord's work. I almost wrote... I almost wrote, but I was afraid everyone would misunderstand what I was trying to say. I almost wrote undeservedly blessed. But I was afraid people would misunderstand what I was trying to say by that. What I'm trying to say, if I would have written undeservedly blessed, was simply this. We don't deserve anything God gives us. 
And it wasn't because they did all this stuff that God said, wow, y'all are really doing good. I'm going to start adding some people to you. Now, I do think when we honor God and we're doing things the way he wants us to do it, that he will bless us, but it's because he chooses to bless us because God can withhold his blessings too. The whole book of Job was written to show you can do the right things and not be blessed the way you think you're supposed to be blessed. God is still free to do whatever he wants to. Most of the time, yes, he operates in certain ways that when we follow his plan and we do things the way he wants us to do it, that we do see fruit and see God bless in special ways. But you know what? God is free and he can do anything he wants to do. And they were undeservedly blessed. It wasn't because they deserved it. It was because God is sovereign. And God added to their number every day, day by day. He was adding to their number. Again, this phrase day by day just means he was consistently adding people to the church. So are we growing this way? Are we blessed this way? Perhaps we're not at a clip like they were at. They were at a clip of 3,000 people on one sermon. Okay, we would be in serious difficulty here with chair situation if that were to happen. But they, they were moving at a pretty quick clip here. Remember, this is the first church. God's starting something here. He's, he's, there's an explosion happening here. But are we, are we doing what they were doing? And it says here, the Lord added to them, and it says, added to their number day by day, those who were what? Being saved. There's the measure. Are we seeing people placing their faith in Christ? And we are. Okay, we're seeing people come to a commitment in Christ. And that's what's most important. And so we trust in God to do what he wants to do. Kids in your kids' notes, Matthew 16, 18 Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus builds his church in his timing and in his way. Sometimes I would like to see him do it quicker. Okay? But that's his choice. But sometimes there's some things we need to be doing. Okay? As a church, as we look back over this list here, that we can be doing. And as we do those things, we'll just trust in God to add as he wants to add. So... We cannot grow, we cannot meet needs, we cannot preach the gospel unless we look at the model, okay? And just like our football illustration again, okay, if someone wants to become a great quarterback, okay, they're going to have to watch the pros. They're going to have to watch them and pay attention to them. A great golfer, okay, of course you've got to have a certain amount of natural talent too, but you've got you to watch, you've got to... You can't just go out there and swing it however you want to. You've got to look at the way it's done and follow the model. And this is for us. This is the model. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. So as a church collectively, we must look at this and see whether or not we're doing what we need to do. I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. With every head bowed and every eye closed. We're going to have one more song here in a second. And during that song, it's time for everyone to respond. So if you're here this morning, you're here to respond. I don't care if you're here for the first time or the 50th time. You're here to respond to the gospel today. And how are you to respond? Perhaps God just put something on your heart regarding fellowship that you need to be doing as a family. Perhaps God put something on your heart regarding your possessions that you need to change an attitude about. Perhaps you just need some prayer this morning. That's why we have the prayer basket up here. And during this song, you'll be invited to bring your prayer cards up here and to take one, too, if there's one already in there for you. Or to bring your offering. So the things we're doing right here, this prayer and this offering and this time of response and this fellowship together, is what the early church did. So this is important. So let's pray right now, and then Mark will lead us in a closing song. Heavenly Father, Lord, we give you glory. 
We give you honor and we give you praise because we know, Lord, that the church is not built upon anybody in this room. No church is built upon anybody anywhere. Father, we can think of the most famous preacher we want to think of, and we can think of all the great things that's happened in that person's ministry, and God, we can say that none of it belongs to them. They're undeservedly blessed. So God, we just ask, Father, for your blessing. Ask for us to have the joy to receive whatever you want to do with Harvins. Whatever you want to do, Lord, we want to have joy and to celebrate what you're doing. But God, we also pray that you'd convict us. Convict Convict us, God. Convict us to the core of our very being. If there's anything in this list here, in this image here, this model of the early church that we're not doing. Father, I just preparing this message convicted my heart in a variety of different ways. That we as a church can be doing a better job in so many different things. So God, I pray that collectively we'd see that. We'd embrace whatever you want to do. God, your work sometimes is painful. So God, we want to embrace it and we want to trust in you whatever plans you have for us as a church. Lord, we ask all this in the name of our Lord, our Savior, on whom the church is built, Jesus Christ. Amen.